this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Note. Today, Mike Kottmeyer is back. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon. Dave, happy to be here, man. Always happy to do a podcast with you. So we're going to pick up on a topic we started a couple weeks ago. But before we do that, I want to offer yeah. a, a, an appreciation to you, Mike. So okay. I I, um, I would like to, to say thank you for having a company where I am surrounded by people that are so smart that they make my head explode because that's what Scott Selhorst did to me today. We did an interview earlier and he changed my brain. I'm telling you, yes, Scott's, there's an interesting story with Scott, you know, Scott, um, you know, he, he writes on a blog called Tyner Blaine, uh, and I've been a, been a fan and follower of that for a while. And I was reading um, one of his posts a couple years ago, and he basically invented the leading agile four quadrants, but from like a totally different angle. And, and I read this thing and I'm like, oh my God, that guy's like thinking the same as us. And, and it was like, it was like one of those things. It's like when like you uncover a truth, a truth is just true, right? Regardless of the context. And, and so he had uncovered the same truth. And, um, and so I got him on the phone and we talked for about it for about an hour and, you know, he shaped my thinking and I shaped his thinking a little bit. And then he lives in Austin. And so I was in Austin, I think for the agile Austin conference and we got together and we had dinner and we talked a little further and we were both committed to looking for ways to work together and it's been a couple years now but um we got him to come and join up with us and yeah um definitely one of the smartest thinkers and like i said you know he invented the same thing i invented so like i think that's even cooler you know (laughs) well i i just want to thank you for creating a place where these people work because he's not the only one here that does that but today just happened to be scott's day to ring my bell and i just i don't know i'm i'm very happy to be part of the company so yeah well no you're you're very welcome you know it it, when you're when you're trying to do the consulting that we're trying to do um you 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 gotta go out and find the best you know and we're doing a good job at that so it's good stuff cool all right yeah on to the topic Cool. So we did a podcast a couple weeks ago and you made me go back and listen to it again because you said we had committed to something that I totally spaced on committing to. Well, it's actually funny. So I went back. I don't always listen to our podcast when we release them because, you know, it's like I, I literally just had the conversation with you. So it's yeah. like I don't necessarily need to. But for some reason, I went. I was on the treadmill or something and I listened to them and I'm like, and like the past two podcasts, I was like, we promised to talk about something and like and like neither one of us like made note of it or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. Usually so what do, we, what do we agree to talk about? Well, so I listen to them so so much when I'm editing them, but by the time I'm done, I like can't even bear to go back to it. But yeah. at the end of it, we were we the this was a podcast two episodes ago. We talked about okay. the difference between a system of delivery and a system of transformation. Yep, remember and, well. And uh, the system of delivery being how we're delivering the work, transformation being how we're going to redesign the organization to be able to create a space for the system of delivery. And yeah. at the end of it, we you were you were making the argument that you know 98% of the, the things that are impediments to creating you know a valid system of delivery um, they're yeah. known. So yeah. we, we need to stop treating them like we're just discovering this stuff all over again every single time that we can create yeah. you called it a planful approach to creating yeah. a system of transformation. So Yeah. Yeah. Mic drop. So you want to talk about that? Let's That's do it. That's what I'm hoping. Okay, cool. So, 
So, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, we always go back to, I always, I always think in terms of first principles and, you know, building arguments, um, for, for this kind of a thing. And, and so like, so, so we're going to, we're going to go over some ground we've been over before, but hopefully we'll build a richer argument on top of it. But one of the things we've been talking about in market for a long time, you and I have talked about it on this podcast quite a bit is the, the idea of what we call the three things. And so, so we know that in order for scrum to work or safe to work, that we have to have have complete cross-functional teams, right? And complete cross-functional teams are what enable us to establish stable velocity or stable delivery throughput or consistent cycle time, however you want to think about it. And and so so complete cross-functional teams is, is one of the things that if we're going to do agile and we're going to do agile well, we, we know we want. And the next thing that those, those teams have to have is they have to have a, a clear backlog. We know how to write user stories. We know about how to size user stories. We know about how to estimate user stories. But we have to get that team a clear, compelling backlog. Um, ideally, in Scrum, that comes from a product owner, but in a lot of contexts, it doesn't necessarily have to come from a single product owner. And so we have teams have backlogs. And then we go, okay, well, so what's the third part? We need to have working tested software or working tested deliverable at the end of the sprint. Something that the team can produce that came off the backlog that we can look at it, compare it against acceptance criteria, and um, say it's done. Right? That, to me, is, is the hallmark of, of Scrum. It's the hallmark of most Agile methodologies in some form or fashion. Sure. And that's kind of like my inarguable starting place. And when I first did the three things talk uh, at the Scrum Gathering in Vegas a couple years ago, Daniel Gulo graciously invited me to come and do that talk, which is pretty cool. And um, so when we talked about it, um, you know, the assertion that I made and have made uh, hundreds of times since is that if you don't get those three things right – then most of the ceremony of Scrum won't really work. And if you if you do the ceremonies of Scrum in the presence of those three with with outside the presence of those three things, then the idea is is that the the ceremonies and cadences of Scrum will expose those dysfunctions to you. Like right. if I don't have a good backlog, right, then the team will do sprint planning and daily stand up and review and retrospective and it will reveal that you don't have a good backlog. Yeah. Um, if you can't get to a definition of done, right, that will hit your velocity and you can retrospect and understand why you couldn't get to a definition of done. And and so <clears throat> and so what we find is that in the small at the team level, that's probably an okay hypothesis. It's like, I'm going to get a bunch of people. We're going to start doing scrum. Scrum's going to reveal that dysfunction to us. And if we understand how to play by the rules of scrum and we're committed to the rules of scrum and we fix the system in order to be able to do scrum well, we win, right? At scale, though, right, in these large, complicated organizations, so much of the dysfunction that you're going to encounter is beyond the purview of the Scrum team itself. And the example that I like to use is I'm working in a bank and I'm working on a legacy mainframe system that's been around for 50 years and there's 500 people that support the system. You know, a team of six to eight people doing Scrum is going to reveal all kinds of dysfunction in the code base and deployment and all those things that they may uh, or, or more likely may not have agency to actually solve for. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so the fundamental hypothesis that leading agile goes to market with is this idea that um, it all starts with the three things, 
And anything that gets in the way of forming teams, building backlogs, producing a working tested increment is an impediment to transformation. And the the work of a transformation, the whole system of transformation concept is is really to um, put a process in place to systematically alleviate those impediments. Okay. That makes sense? It does. I have a bunch of questions yeah. about it. Yeah, um, cool. So let's let's do there and then I'll see if I'll see how far you pull me off of like my my mental thread. Okay. And, and see if we can pull back. Well, or I'm I'm also place. I'm approaching yeah. it from the I'm trying to think of the questions yeah. like that my students would ask, right? Or the okay. people that I interact with, which are fairly kind yeah. of not at the top yeah. of the food chain all the time. They don't have yeah. the agency to change yeah. it at the team level even. Yeah. And a lot of the organizational constraints um, while they're easy for us to call out, they're not easy for the organizations to change. So like yeah, no I co- I'm constantly getting the question of what if I don't have dedicated teams? Like how can I yeah. – what can I – can I do anything? Yeah. And I always yeah. say like any step is a positive step, but it doesn't necessarily get them to the three things. Yeah, it, it, and that's true, right? I mean – and but – but this is what I, at least for the purpose of this conversation, yeah. um, you know, it, I'm fairly on record with this is, is I don't think bottom up transformations work very well that way, okay. you know, and, and it's, and it's because, like I said, you know, if you were a couple people and you're in a dev shop and, you know, you're in a 20 person company and six of you are writing the product. Um, yeah, sure. Right. No, no, yeah. no objections. Right. Um, but, you know, you're dealing large auto manufacturers, large banks, right. large insurance companies, healthcare providers, right? Things like that, um, you know, the, the the complexity of that system is is so great, and you know, if you approach it from a team level, right, you just have realistic expectations. You're like, look, we're going to amp up visibility, we're going to amp up communication, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to work together better as a team, we're going to communicate better, right? And none of that is negative, right? So I don't want to be, you know, a Debbie Downer around all that kind of stuff. But, but at the end of the day, you're not going to, you're not going to put things in market on a regular cadence. You're not going to establish stable throughput. You're not going to get predictable velocity, right? It's just, it's just not going to work that way. And so, so let's just not pretend that it's going to work that way. You know, just don't want to pretend. And so, so the, the idea is, is that, is that, you know, when we go to executives and this is, it's interesting. It's like this, this podcast is, is kind of um, moving down the path of how I've evolved this transformation content over the years. So, you know, we kind of started with the three things. Yeah. And then one of the next things was like the executives guide and you go to, okay, well, so we've sold our executives on this promise of, of agility, right? Everybody wants agile now. It's not a matter of can we convince our executives to do agile. Everybody wants to do agile, um, and and what they're willing to write a check for often is okay, cool. Let's go do some Scrum. So let's get a Scrum trainer in and let's 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 yeah. learn Scrum, right? Because Scrum is going to solve the problem, and then they all end up in your class with. You know, bring all your organization <laughs> dysfunction to me and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, so what we want to do is we want to go to the executives and we want to say, okay, look, right? We want agility. You want agility. We can all agree on the characteristics of an agile organization. We can all agree on the business benefit of being agile. But here's the thing, right? Three. We have the three things: the working test software, the teams, the backlogs, right? All that stuff. Um, we can look at the organization, and we can say, "What is it going to take to be able to get teams, backlogs, and working tests of software?" Right? That's 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 fairly knowable, 
right? Yeah. And and the the things that are going to make that difficult um, is the work of the transformation. Okay. And so the work of the transformation isn't train people on how to do Scrum. The work of the transformation is to remove the impediments that are going to get in the way of being able to do Scrum. Can I ask a question so, about the impediments? Yeah, sure. Because so we're going to get there here eventually. Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking of multiple layers of impediments. So we're going to have, yeah. obviously, process. We're going to have yeah. architectural. We're going to yeah. have cultural. Yeah. And the one thing that's like screaming in the back of my head right now is how are you going to plan to get people to stop believing in multitasking? Well, well, so, so it's, so, so here's the interesting thing, right? So, so I, I think that's the wrong question. That's okay. the wrong thing to ask because um, in your life, are you ever doing one thing at a time? Like I'm trying maybe, to do one. Maybe well, you you're might all, be well, fully. I mean, you might be fully present here with me now, or when you're in a training class, you might be fully present, but it's not like you're working on one thing in your life for three months. No, but I'm, I'm doing them in sequence. I'm like, well, doing one you're thing making, you're making decisions about how to decompose work. Yes. And you're interleaving those decomposed components. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. Like so, like so you're not podcast. really, yeah. you're only doing one thing at a time, but you're batching it up into small enough chunks yep. that you can give the illusion that you're keeping more things going in it at one time. Okay. Yeah. And so, so where I get in my life and I'm sure you probably get in your life, right? You know, you're a husband, you're a father, you need to take care of yourself. You need to do your, your, your role here in leading agile. Then you have these extra roles that you take on, like doing podcasts and doing other marketing things. And you've got your drunken PM and yep. you know, you've got all the user community stuff that you want to do. And, and at some point in time, right, you find that you have too much stuff Yeah, and it's not all of it gets done. Okay. Well, organizations are in the same boat, right? So they take all their big stuff and they break it into small stuff and they interleave it, but they interleave it in a way that actually nothing ever gets finished. Okay. So, so you you're going to reduce their whip then instead of stop multitasking. Well, well, so, so that's, so, so yeah, but that's only like part of the overall solution okay. and in where you have to anchor is you have to anchor in teams, backlogs, working tests of software, anything that gets in the way is is an impediment and so and so the the thing that we look at first most often is is exactly the thing that you said was the biggest problem it's like i can't get a complete cross-functional team and you go why right well well you can't get a complete cross-functional team because the organizational metaphor that the company is using to structure itself is broken uh, it's organized in functional silos, or maybe it's organized by products, or it's organized by services, or it's organized by some weird hybrid matrix of functionally aligned and project aligned or whatever. I mean, there's there's all kinds of, there can be as many reasons that this is difficult as there are companies. Sure. But, but the truth, right, the fundamental truth is, if I can't get a complete cross-functional team, then I can't do Agile. You just can't. Okay. Right. You can go through the motions of Scrum, but you can't get the business benefit of it. I just think it's inarguable. Right. And so, and so you have to basically have a conversation with the organization that says, yeah, I get it. This is hard. How are we going to do it? What's our organizational hypothesis? 
And one of the things that, that we tend to advocate for is not really organizing around, um, we clearly don't want to organize around skill set. We clearly don't want to organize around technology stack. Um, organizing around product is, is typically um, the way that we tend to think about it, but, but that can be ambiguous as to what a product is in some of these large, complex organizations. It's not as clean as we would like it to right, be. Right. You could say we could organize around value stream, but value streams often intersect and require the same people. Okay. So, so the, the organizational construct that we've kind of landed on that is flexible enough, but yet universal is the idea of a business capability. And so a business capability can be something that you would think of like, um, you know, accounting or HR or something like that, but it could also be, it can also be like a capability within the product, like a login, like a service thing, right? A shared service. Um, and so there's lots of different ways to, to look at um, what is a capability and what is not a capability. And there's some art and there's some, there's some expertise involved. But that is going to be a little bit yeah. unique for each company, right? I mean, that well, part it's, of it. it's absolutely going to be unique for each company. Okay. And so, so we, we have, we have business architects on the team that go in and look at companies and say, okay, um, here's our first pass hypothesis on what your business capabilities are. So let's figure out how to organize around them. Okay. Can we put a dedicated team around a business capability? Most organizations, I would say all organizations that we've engaged with, can organize around business capabilities. Okay, can I ask a question about this? Yeah, please. Yeah, sure. All right. So where this the, you said something a few minutes ago that has been I've been kind of stuck on. Yeah. We decide that the, we decide and the client decides agile is the way they want to go, some form of agile because they want this ability to deliver. Right. Anything that gets in the way of that is an impediment. Yep. So yep. that is like a new ruling law. Anything it's, that we find. It's that, super simple, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's super it's very simple, liberating. but it's also, yeah. well, I guess liberating or terrifying, depending on what Power, part of yep, the company exactly, you're Exactly, right? Yeah. And, and this is why it's so terrifying is because what you recognize. So think about the way that we've been teaching people Scrum. Just show up and do Scrum. And Move do a retrospective. Do a retrospective. And the idea of a retrospective is that you look at the impediments that the team had to delivering. Right. Well, so what do you do when you find out that the first impediment is I don't have a complete cross functional right. team? Right. And that goes back to that agency thing. They don't have the agency to make those changes. Sure. sure. So so here's the thing, right? So this will this is the tension in mine and yours conversation all the time. Right. You're kind of talking to the people that show up in your class and I'm talking to their boss's boss's boss. Right. You know? And and so what I want is I want them to go to their boss's boss's boss and go, look, if we can't figure out how to form teams, then then there's no way we're gonna be successful with this. Right. Just it's it to me and 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 again I will allow for the fact that there could be environments where I could be wrong. But I am so convinced that I am right that that it's worth being wrong occasionally to be right most of the time. Yeah. And right most of the time is if you don't form complete cross-functional teams, you will never effectively do agile. Okay. You just right? So if you, if you sit on that, right, you sit on that as a simplifying assumption, as a rule, and then you say, okay, well, what's going to stop me from forming complete cross-functional teams? And I'm going to relentlessly work on this organization until I have a complete organizational hypothesis for how we're going to form teams. Then 
you know, that that's what you do, right? That's what you have to do if, if you're committed to agility. Right. Now, if, if I'm this C-level person mm-hmm. um, and you're t- having this conversation with me, am I then looking at you got, you're going to come in, figure it out. We're going to flip the switch and everything's going to be different tomorrow. Or are we going to have this progression? Well, well so now, state? okay. So, so here's the interesting thing, right? What you just did is you just kind of bifurcated the conversation and that's okay because, because there's the, there's the, there's the non-negotiables of the three things. Yeah. There is the, there is the, the um, unifying principle that, 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 the system of transformation is 100% designed to systematically remove the impediments to agility, right? That's what we're trying to do. So then, then you get into a question of, okay, well, now how do you actually go do that? Yeah, how do I get to the three right? things? Yeah, so the so the, the system of transformation, it then bifurcates into kind of two distinct tracks. For us, you know, and just really pragmatically, there's engagement design, right? How do you put together a contract or a system or a, a mechanism for working together that progressively builds consensus? Okay. Okay. Because there's, I have to get the organization to agree and to want to do it. And then I got to go do it. Yeah. Right. So, so the, the, the method that we will typically deploy to get everybody on the same page is some sort of multi-day workshop where you teach principles, you run people through exercises, you run them through this progressive thing. You want to try to get them to see. Okay. And then once they can see that it's possible, right, that, that their current mental models or current paradigms are not necessarily true and that there might be an alternative way, you want to create enough confidence that some subset of the people in that room are willing to try. Okay. You know, and then, and then you go grab that subset of people and you do a deeper dive analysis with the broader organization. And you include a bunch of people in that conversation and you listen to their understanding of their culture, their understanding of their, their processes, their understanding of their current organizational design. What do they believe the impediments to change are? You start, you start creating early models of like what the business capabilities might look like, what the dependencies might be. You want to look at the organization and you want to you want to you want to develop a a mental model around what a potential future end state could look like okay. okay and then and then you'll probably take a subset of that organization something we call an expedition and you'll take this group of teams and you'll move them to a a predetermined um, state, or you'll move them to a, a condition with a certain set of acceptance criteria. Call that a base camp, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so, what you will what you'll find is that the process of transformation starts with kind of like an awareness, and then a deep dive discovery, um, creation of an idealized end state, what might this look like when we're done, what are going to be the impediments to get there, and then like our first base camp, our first set of conditions might be, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to use teams and backlogs, working tested software, structure, governance, and metrics, we're going to use that to stabilize the system of delivery. Because what we're going to fundamentally do is we're going to break the organization apart and we're going to rebuild it in a model that's going to help make it effective. Okay. But it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like, and, and, and again, I'm like on really shaky ground with my metaphors here, but it would be almost kind of like if you broke your arm at some point in time and it's set wrong, 
right? And your arm was kind of like crooked and jacked up because the bone wasn't wasn't oh, lined. Okay, this is good because right? I have a question I want to ask. And yeah. This might be well, a, so nice so in order to, to fix that, in order to fix that, I have to. A lot of times, I would like I've never actually had this done, but I've heard about it. Like you'd have to re-break it. Yeah. Right, and then and then once you re-break it, you just don't leave it flapping around and hoping it heals right. You have to put a cast on it. Yeah, and and so so it's kind of the same way. It's like it's like a lot of what you're doing in the early stages of a transformation is you are you're breaking the organization and you're rebuilding it, but you realize that it's not um, it's not it's not set yet. And so you'll put some things in place like compensating controls like, yeah, sure, I would love to have a single product owner um, operating with this team, totally independent, no dependencies. But, you know, I just recently just formed it and the decision making mechanisms haven't fully hardened and there's a bunch of dependencies. So I'm going to put some more coordination and control in place. Yeah, this is like braces. We talked about this in the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so what starts to happen is that, is that we know, so you just keep rebuilding the argument. You know that Teams Backlog's working test of software is the desired end state. You know that there are organizational dysfunctions in terms of governance and teaming strategies, investment strategies, technology dependencies, organizational design, org charts, HR policies, right? All that stuff is, is going to get in our way, but we know it. Right. So we can create, we can get a subset of the organization and we can say, okay, here's our idealized end state that takes all of these things into consideration. There's going to be some subset of things that you can fix like right away. And there will be some subset of things that even if I want to fix them now, and even if I'm willing to spend money on them, it takes time to do that. Yeah. So like, think about like technology dependencies or or like re-architecture, re-architecture. Rebuild a lot of stuff. It, I mean, it's like you've got to layer in the skills necessary to do it, and then you've got to start doing analysis on the system and figure out which pieces you want to pull out first, and then you know, you've know, you actually got to start doing that in a way that doesn't break the system, right? I mean, this stuff will take months and months to do. Okay. So, so what can I do now to put the system into the state that I, I desire it to be in? What compensating controls do I need to put in place now to accommodate for the fact that not only is it broken and um, and we need to protect it for a bit, but we also realize that some of the dependencies we want to change and break um, can't be broken overnight. So, so we know that the ideal end state of Scrum is to put the organization to a con- uh, condition where it's totally self-organizing and you know, operating independently, but the reality of our world is that it's not that yet. Okay. Okay. So, so we put it into the form we want it to be. And, and I just want to be really clear for a few agilists in the community that might be listening to this. I don't mean doing that by fiat or top down control, right? Well, this, uh, yeah. It's and I've got full, a question in a second. So yeah, there's full engagement of the team, right? Because it's, it's like, whether you're an internal consultant or an external consultant, the, it's like you can't do this to the team. You have to do it with the team, yeah. with their full participation, understanding, ownership, right? It's their transformation, not your transformation. All right. Can I no, – this yeah, is yeah, a please, good place. Right. You don't even have to ask. Just, I just know. Interrupt. I was just waiting for the right moment. So, And okay. I, don't, um, I don't know how you're going to react to this question, but I'm curious okay. about it. I'm going to be angry. Well, you might be. Um, I'm going to lash, I'm gonna lash out might. a rash. You bring no, I'm just it. kidding. Yeah, um, okay. So the way that you're talking about this sounds mm-hmm. – 
different to me, and and mm-hmm. I'm asking this question because I it's it kind of tastes different, but I can't see all the places where it is. When I yeah. started doing transformation work, I we do like the pilots. You go and you spin up three teams, yeah. you teach them how to do this stuff, and you hope that it sticks. Yeah. yeah. Can you contrast those two approaches? I mean, I know you just explained this one, but there's a lot more thought, a lot more. I don't know. Well, so I've been talking around it. So let me let me see if okay. I can talk more specifically into it. Okay. Um, if you're going to do a bottom-up grassroots transformation, um, your your hypothesis, your your basically your system of transformation is going to be, I'm going to train people on how to do Scrum. They're going to do Scrum. Scrum is going to reveal these impediments. And then the team will work to remove the impediments, and then the next iteration, they'll get better at Scrum. Okay? And so the whole outcome that we're looking for there is to get better at Scrum. Well, it's – well, I, theoretically – the assumption that things, the, good things happen after that. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the assertion is, is that if I'm better at Scrum, then I'm going to be able to deliver with agility. Okay. Okay? So, so – so either one of two things will happen. You'll have what I call accidental agility, where the team happens to be organized is into independent groupings, yeah. right? right? Non-dependent teams, right? And I've worked in organizations like that. If you've got four teams that are all operating totally independently with a single product owner that can deploy working tests of software on a regular increment into production, ideally, then what we're talking about doesn't apply to you, okay. right? Do what you've been doing. Don't care, right? It's all good. Right. If it's working for you, do it. Um, the the next set of things is okay. Well, so you don't have like the natural conditions for Scrum to work. Mm-hmm. So you know that once you install Scrum, that the team's going to hit impediments. Some will probably be within their purview. Some maybe not. Okay. Maybe some they can they can gain some agency over time to fix. And you go, okay, cool, right? Well, maybe maybe it kind of works in that context too. Right, without all this complexity. But then you take, and, I, and I've seen this 150 times if I've seen it once, is you take five or six teams that are totally wrapped up in a totally dysfunctional technology governance organizational right. context yeah. where those six teams can't do anything <laughs> totally by themselves. Yep. Okay? And you go, well, how do I form teams, build backlogs, produce working tests, software? You don't. Right? You just don't, right? You can try, right? I, I mean, I've literally walked into organizations where people feel like they're revolutionaries. Like, I'm going to quit if the organization doesn't do this. And these guys yeah. are idiots. It becomes very us against them, right? And that's just not healthy for anybody. Like, that's not how change in large organizations. So we talk about organizational antibodies, right? Organizational antibodies are going to reject the revolutionary for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you might be part of, again, I, I can't say that it never works that way. You might have the right person who's the right vocal revolutionary who puts their job on the line consistently enough over time that these changes get made. I'm just saying that, like, I don't think that brute force mechanism is the way to do it. And right. I don't think it's going to work most of the time. I think it's a high, it's quite high reward, but it's also high risk yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I've seen I've seen plenty of CIOs and CTOs come into organizations and say, this is not hard. We just need to do this, 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 and this. And <laughs> they try to, to stop eating by- sugar and drinking caffeine. Yeah, they try to they try to they try to do it by fiat. They try to do it by mandate, and the the organization for the most part can outlast them if it's not brought along. 
Yeah. Right. So, so top down is insufficient. Bottom up is insufficient. So what we need is what I've always called like top down intent, bottom up implementation. So the leaders have to be very clear on what the objective is. Teams, backlogs, working tested software. Um, within the purview of, of any given leader, right? We want teams at every level of the organization. We want lean um, program and portfolio management. We want agile metrics. We want agile tooling. Um, we know what the performance characteristics of the system need to look like. And then, and you enlist the team to help you, the teams to help you define that, right? To help you uncover the dependencies, to help you sequence the, the removal of the dependencies. Because there are certain things that you're going to have to do that are not in the Agile textbooks yeah. that, that you're going to have to do in the presence of dependencies that you can begin to deprecate as you break the dependencies. If you choose not to break the dependencies or you don't want to invest in breaking the dependencies, those compensating controls will stay there forever. But, Mike, that's not safe. Like, I don't care. I don't care that it's not Scrum. I don't care that it's not safe. What I care is that the organization delivers with maximum agility, given its constraints. Okay. Right? Because being a revolutionary in an organization and demanding that we do Scrum or safe by the book for the sake of that methodology – um, ignoring the real constraints, what will inevitably happen, and you see this a lot too, we'll snap back. is the people. Well, 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 I will suggest is that the 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 people that are advocating for the methodology, as long as they're present, will hold tight to it. Yeah. But there will be some other group of people that's actually doing the real stuff to to make the methodology look right. I mean, it's it's crazy the, the kinds of compensating controls that get put in place. So why is the field so rife with the revolutionaries? Because there's so many of them. Um, Do they just... I, I, think honestly, I think honestly it's because we don't know, we don't know how to change from within okay. without tearing down the old guard and, you know, and installing a new one. Um, and so the idea is, is but, but companies aren't, they're not set up to work that way. Yeah. I mean, we have to continue to be profitable. We have to continue to serve our, our clients right. while we're making the changes in place to do things more effective for the future. And, and so, so what, you know, what I think the market is ready for, and we're seeing a ton of evidence, um, a lot of companies that we're talking to that have been down this path often for you know, four, five, eight, ten years of trying these bottom – up let's let's just start grassroots let's see yeah. it let's see it take off and the goodness of that right and i and i don't want to i don't want to dismiss the progress that those people have made they have stayed the course they have fought the good fight they yeah. are they have they have convinced the organization that there is indeed something here it's very noble and it's noble right and the organizations have listened and they're starting to say okay but why aren't we getting the business benefit out of it that we we yeah. expect it? And the reason for that is is that the conditions for agile to be successful have never been fully realized. Okay, you know, um, and so and so the system of transformation is about just acknowledging that go and going, look, the organization's ready to do agile. Like now, let's get really real about what does it take to do that? Like, what are the impediments that are going to have to be removed? Like I said, we know those things and it's, and they can most universally be described with one word, dependencies. 
dependencies are what gets in the way. And there's organizational dependencies, there's technology dependencies, there's process dependencies, <clears throat> governance dependencies, you know, all product dependencies, right? There's dependencies everywhere. So if and dependencies uh, either have to be broken or managed. There's only two choices. If we can find all of these ahead of time, I mean, you, you've said a couple of times now that <clears throat> these impediments, these things that are in the way, they're, they're, there's <clears throat> going to be some variation, but it's a fairly common set. Like I always say well, in my classes, like you're all special, unique companies. You're all doing the same stuff wrong. If we can identify most of those ahead of time, can, can we like basically script out? Here's the things you've got to change, and well, here's how you so change them. This, yeah, exactly, right. So this is what this is what I generally say, right? So probably about eighty percent of the dependencies we know. Um, there's probably going to be about twenty percent of them that are going to be tough to determine, and we're gonna, they're going to merge, okay. right, over time. But but this idea, this idea that Transformation isn't about training people on Scrum and um, and just systematically trying to do Scrum until all your impediments are removed. The idea is, is that we're going to anchor on this concept of teams, backlogs, working tested software. We're going to focus on the idea that impediments are not our friend. And then we're going to put together a plan that's going to, um, you know, to pull out some of my old PMI language, it's going to be progressively elaborated. It's going to be rolling wave. It's not like a big upfront Gantt chart, although, you know, provocatively, I'll say I wouldn't necessarily mind that because I do think it's that fundamentally predictable. You can take an organization and you can say, this is how this organization is going to form teams. This is how this organization is going to govern. This is what this organization is going to measure. This is the tooling that it's going to use. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to invent it every single time anymore. Okay. And we can say, to get to this end state, here are the, the classes of dependencies that are going to have to be overcome. Here's the skills that the that the team is going to have to develop in order to overcome them. Here is the sequence that we recommend that these dependencies get removed for mac maximum economic benefit. Okay. And you can put together you can put together a 90-day plan for a 80 to 120-person organization that will get that organization into a stable, steady state um, in a very predictable manner. So it's just it's just not hard. All right. So if that's not hard, then why do they need companies like us? I mean, I I always say to people like well, you can figure this stuff out on your own. It's just going to cost way more because it's going to take you longer. Well, so it's like anything, man. It's like and so so you're going to make me like I'm going to sound like a consultant with like a sales hat on here, right? No, no, no I'm, I'm it's like I'm, I'm it's asking like, like I could I could okay. So I'll, I'll give you okay. So we'll, so so don't be salesy. Just give me the straight level. answer. Just what's Okay, no, so no, we're gonna use a metaphor here, okay. right? So so I'm learning jujitsu, right? And so <laughs> we're I have, so close. I so hired, close to I getting hired, through a podcast with So I paid I paid for a subscription <laughs> yes. to Gracie University. Yeah. And it has videos on all of the jujitsu moves. Okay. okay. Yeah. And theoretically, you could become a blue belt it's by cheer. by doing all of their videos. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's valuable, right? And I learn a lot from those videos, and I use them to kind of mentally practice when I'm not in the gym. Okay. But I've also hired a coach, and I have a gym. I have a dojo to go to okay. where I get to have one-on-one -on -one instruction, and I get to practice with other people that are practicing. Okay. Right? So, so <clears throat> is, you know, so, so it's interesting, right? So, I mean, you, I mean, anybody who's paid any attention to Leading Agile, it's like I've been talking about this stuff publicly for years. I mean, we literally have no secrets. I mean, we could publish our entire playbook online, and maybe at some point when we get it to a place I'm comfortable, then maybe we will, right? Right. But it's like 
it's like there's there's two pieces of it. There's knowing what to do, and then there's having the influence and acumen to get people to do it. Yeah. Then there's also the fact that we know that stuff gets messy on the inside. Yeah. And what do you do when it gets messy? So so what we find is that is that the ideas are very um, straightforward to understand. The methodology is is publicly available. I talk about it all the time. We will share content with anybody. Right. But then it's like how it's like how do you get people to go do it? And so part of our overall system of transformation, very candidly, we've hired a lot of agile coaches that didn't work out for us because they couldn't they couldn't have sufficient empathy for the leadership team. Yeah. And they didn't know how to tailor the message to be able to get those people to move to their economic advantage, right? Okay. So so knowing the right answer often is is insufficient. And I'm not making a sideways case. Obviously, we want anybody who listens to this to come hire us, but it's like no, no, that's but, what it's about. It's like it's I mean, we've we've built, you know, I'm, we're almost nine years old, and and the the amount of concerted effort that we have put in to build the kind of organization and the tooling and the support and the knowledge and the institutional knowledge and know-how to be able to do this, it's it's one of those things where like it's easy to describe, but yeah. in practice it can be really messy to do. And then sometimes people hire consultants just so they can fire them and blame them when it doesn't work. It's <laughs> an <laughs> approach, but 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 you know the idea is is that you don't want to play that game, right? You want to play a game of you know it's going to work and this is how it's going to work and here's our shared understanding and here's our shared hypothesis and and all this stuff, right? Yeah. And that's just very knowable. It's very knowable and it's very it's able to be planned. So they'll they'll get there a, lo- a bit faster. Hopefully with less pain and discomfort by bringing in us or whoever to help them do it because we well, know well, so, we have a way so me, of doing it. Let me make it less about hiring consultants, right? So one of the yeah. things that I try really hard to do when I when I talk about this stuff publicly is I tell – because usually what I end up with in my talks are internal change agents, right? Okay. People that are, that are running transformation offices as they understand it within their organization. Yeah. And, and what I tell people is like, regardless of whether you're hiring external consultants or whether you're building an internal team of coaches, the organization has made a financial commitment to, to this, to this process change. Yep. Um, I believe that as any responsible consultant or any responsible professional within an organization, it is our, um, it is our obligation to be good stewards of the resources that we're given, even if that's just our salaries. Okay. You know, we need to be able to provide the the the, um, the the value that we are there to provide. I mean, you wouldn't want to be a project manager and never deliver a successful project. You wouldn't want to be a developer and never be able to put any code into production. Right. You wouldn't want to be a, a product manager and not be able to sell anything. Right. So you wouldn't want to be an agile change agent and never deliver any agility. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and again, right, we've established that teaching people scrum does not guarantee agility. Okay. Yeah. And so, so what we've decided to do, what we've decided is the right approach is, is you link up to the business drivers, you understand how you're going to do teams, backlogs, working tested software, structure, governance, and metrics. You understand the impediments, regardless of where they're coming from, dependencies, other organizational issues that are going to get in your way. And you put together a systematic plan for how to put the organization together in a way that's going to yield the result that you want. Okay. That feels very that feels very straightforward to me. Yeah. So so the journey that we've articulated 
and it, and it's one of many, right? But it, so it's like, it can be anything, but for people to understand that it kind of has to be something, right? So we came up with this metaphor of base camps. And so we identified five standard base camps. And so base camp one is about getting predictable. Base camp two is about reducing batch size. Base camp three is about breaking dependencies. Um, base camp four is something that I call... Um, Oh gosh, I totally, totally zoned on it. But it's basically about, um, it's about um, basically bringing projects to teams rather than bringing teams to projects. Okay. Okay. So bringing the work to the teams, yep. right? So it's a lot of investment strategy stuff going on there, right? And then the fifth base camp is invest to learn. And invest to learn is about like, well, now I'm not, I'm not funding um, specific outcomes. I'm, I'm funding um, um, iteration within the market. Okay. Right. Market testing, right? And so, so base camp five is, is what we might consider the highest level of agility. And so within that framework, what we find, and, and this is kind of ironic, is that we find that, you know, even though those base camps can pretty much be defined as anything necessary for that company to go through the journey, we find that the five base camps largely hold in most of the companies we go to. So in, in a large, complex organization with tons of dependencies, the first, the first job is to stabilize the system. Okay. okay? Um, to get it predictable. And you don't do that by teaching it Scrum and hoping for the best. What you do is you form, you create a hypothesis around teams. You begin to form those teams. You do an exercise called names and boxes. You right size. You figure out who needs to be in, who doesn't need to be in. Sometimes we need to move people out of that particular organization. Right. right? You start putting in the mechanisms to construct backlogs. You start feeding those backlogs to the teams. The teams start stabilizing velocity. Um, Sometimes technical practices are getting introduced here. Sometimes changes in, in um, testing practices are getting in. We want to build sufficient backlog that we can start to walk into release planning in a more planful way. And what was interesting for us, and I'll, and I'll be totally transparent with our audience here, when we first started talking about base camps and these intermediate outcomes, um, you know, to me, the idea of intermediate outcomes leading towards a, uh, an, a base camp outcome yeah. was very intuitive to me but but we but candidly like with across our organization with accounts we were working on we didn't have a common understanding of it and we have a tool that we've built internally called navigator that basically allows us to build engagements and we were in a very early iteration of uh of navigator and i asked all of our account leads i said i said okay just as an exercise go in and build all your accounts in the tool and i'm telling you dave it was like I was like, oh my God, it's like all the stuff I've been saying, like people don't understand what I'm talking about. Right. And so what we did is we took down, we took the base camps, all five of the base camps down into about, I think it's somewhere between eight and 12 um, intermediate outcomes. Okay. That we were able to use as standard outcomes. Like there's no engagement where you don't form teams. Yeah. There's no engagement where you don't start decomposing backlogs. There's no engagement really for us in the companies we work with where some sort of tool is not put in place. There's no engagement where we're not preparing for release planning. There's no engagement where certain, you know, just certain things aren't happening. So right? you know? To tie it back to stuff you yeah. have covered like way, way back, this is the equivalent of you reading the book about how to run a marathon. Right. Yeah. 
Right. It's a, it's about creating a lot of safety in the system about what needs to happen. Or, or things, expectation. like if I'm going through yeah. this process, I want to know certain stuff's going to happen. Or like you've got a newborn, you know that this many yeah. weeks this is going to happen, this many weeks this is going to happen. You can yeah. track progress against this stuff, right? Yeah. And, and you know, here's the interesting thing. So so I think one of the objections, one of the conceptual objections that people have is, is that every organization is different. Like how can this stuff be as standard as you think it is? And the the reality is, is that is that the outcomes are defined in such a way that they're universal. The the um, the the activities that you deploy to get there, and the 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 art you apply, the relationship building you apply, the helping people understand that you apply. That's where the that's where the science and the art kind of combine. Okay. It's like outcomes become very very routine. But how you help that organization move towards that outcome is is where the coaching comes in, right? And okay. so, so we have like, and it's gotten specific enough that that um, that we have standard outcomes and we have standard activities and we have okay. role based activities and Good. guidance and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's just all example. Okay. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's smart people working with a client, defining the outcomes for that client, figuring out which activities are appropriate. But, but here's the interesting thing is that when you're doing this at scale, it has to be pretty consistent. Yeah. And, and that's the thing we've learned, right? If I put 10 coaches on the ground someplace and they all do it different, they all might be doing it perfectly right and perfectly applicable for their team, and, but it, but it creates no safety for the client. Yeah. Right. Everybody's doing everything differently. Okay. okay, so so putting some safety around um, the transformation, and so and so here we get in this situation a lot, right? Well, we're going to teach you kind of the standard way of doing it, or at least the standard way that that client X wants to do it, but then we're also going to work with you to understand like when um, when that approach isn't going to be sufficient, and and we'll teach you other things to do too. Okay. You know, but but again, from a change management perspective, having some sort of consistency of approach and some sort of common way to measure progress um, is, you know, not every organization is a snowflake. Actually, none of them are snowflakes. They all they all move through the same set of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question. Shoot. And I and I'm going to ask you to put on your transformation futurist hat for this one. Okay. Okay. Do you think we're going to evolve or are we already evolving towards a state where in addition to having a, a better sense of transformation, how it's supposed to go and what things to expect and what kind of things we're going to have to do, do you think that we're going to have people who are almost like data scientists of the impact of things in the transformation? Like they can say like we're at the tipping point for this next step to happen or we're trying to push too much change at one time. Are there – Things we can look at, things we can measure to try to get a sense of when it's too much. Um, don't know. Okay. Um, where where my brain kind of went when as you were asking that question is I was thinking about what we're building with Navigator. Yeah. And and one of the things that we would what I would like to be able to do is you know we so we make this blanket case that that um, dependencies get in the way of agile yeah. and, and that the journey of the transformation is to break dependencies. But, but the, but the challenge that you have in real life on that is that dependencies cost money to break and certain dependencies have very high value um, if you break them and certain dependencies have less value if, yeah. if you break them. And so, so what I would like to be able to do, and we can, we can do it, um, 
informally is not the right word, but we can do it anecdotally. We can do it. Um, I would love to have some data science around, okay, so here's the cost of this dependency. Here's the cost to break the dependency. Yeah. Is the cost of breaking the dependency less than or greater than the cost of leaving it in? Okay. You know? And, and I think that would be And then you're just making smart choices about waste. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause absolutely. Right. I, I can be a purist all day long, but if, if a particular code base is not particularly strategic yeah. and doesn't warrant an investment or if making that investment or improving the agility of that particular team or that particular component isn't going to actually increase the throughput of value delivered in the market, yeah. then, then I don't, then I might not want to invest anything in helping that team get better. That to me and, sounds and like even greater agility than everybody just trying to make everything agile at once. Well, well, that's that's actually part of you know. So again, right? It's like you can just unpack and unpack and unpack this stuff. It's like when we walk into to a customer and we're looking at the the business architecture and we're tying the business architecture to the strategic goals and trying to figure out you know which things within the enterprise are super high value. You can actually you can actually use that kind of a mapping to target. Um, where to put dollars first, and you yeah. can also use it to economically sequence the transformation, so that you know it's funny. It's like it's like it's like the backlog, right? It's like you want to be able to get to a point where at, at any time, if you stop spending money, you've delivered the highest value first. Right. So if we just randomly start training people on how to do Scrum, like how do we do that? Right. And so we have business capabilities tied to strategic objectives. We use the, the value of the business capability to decide where to invest first. We use the, the cost of the dependency relative to the cost of breaking it to sequence where that investment gets made, which base camp we want to bring somebody to, um, you know, lower value, less strategic things where the cost of the dependencies isn't super high. We probably want to do base camp one, base camp two where there's huge strategic advantage to breaking those dependencies and the cost justifies it, we're going to move those guys to base camp three, base camp four, for, for things that are very adaptive in market where you want to um, very systematically start experimenting in the market to try to figure out where to go next. We're going to bring those guys to base camp five. Maybe we'll bring them straight to base camp five or we'll create a labs group that goes straight to base camp five. Okay. But, you know, being pragmatic. And so there's, there's a couple of things, right? So even if you want to change the whole organization, you know, these mega organizations we're working with, it's like you can't change them all at one time. Right. And so um, even if you had infinite money, there, I mean, there's just not well, That's what I mean. Like, there's a whip yeah. limit to change. Yeah, absolutely, right? And so and so we want to prioritize, we want to sequence that change. And if we can prioritize and sequence the change and tie it to strategic objectives that are going to move the stock price yeah. um, as quickly as possible, well, that's where you spend money. And and the interesting thing from us, and, and we've done this as just a matter of survival, because if we can tie, you know, the the whatever they're spending with us to a, a tick or two in the stock price, I mean, my God, right? The the transformation pays for itself at that point. Yeah. Okay, and and that's not that's not I mean that's absolutely within the realm of the things that we're doing with some of our larger clients. So, cool. right. yeah. Well, thank I think you. You said you had a weird question. I do. I have a weird question. question. Yeah. What's so, but first question? of all, before we get to the weird question, if folks want to yeah. contact you, your contact information will be in the uh, show yeah. notes along with a link to the previous podcast, and I'll make sure to include a link to the white paper. But I would like to know instead of asking me about music this time, I'm going to ask you about: yeah. uh, Is there an author? Agile related or not, just somebody whose stuff you've read, like what what person's had the biggest impact on you 
in either how you do work or how you lead your life? Um, it, it feels like maybe I've talked about this before, but I will tell you, um, hands down, without a doubt, is um, Stephen Covey for me personally. Okay. Um, and, you know, specifically, I've read everything Stephen Covey's written, um, most of it more than once. Um, but the seven habits of highly effective people was like, was like transformative to me. Okay. And, and if you really look at even our change model, um, you know, the, the, you know, the first habit is being proactive, right? Operate within, um, your circle of influence rather than your circle of concern. Like the whole trust influence loop really kind of comes out of that. Yeah. Um, begin with the end in mind. Right. That's the whole define the end state, you know, create the organizational hypothesis, put first things first, prioritize the transformation in terms of, um, you know, economic value. Um, think win win. Right. It has to be good for the client. It has to be good for us. Um, synergize. Um, sharpen the saw. Feels like I'm leaving one out, but whatever. You get the idea. The fact that um, you have these memorized at all is yeah, impressive. I, I, I've read the book like at least ten times, right? Okay. And I'm telling you, it is in my DNA. And if I wasn't on a podcast, I, I could absolutely. If I was writing them well, down, I, yeah, I, could I get guess them that's all, right? like, that's like me when yeah. we talk about the art of war. So, but okay. I'm telling you, it is it is influenced my life. It's influenced how I raise my kids. It's influenced in my, um, you know, my relationship with my wife. Uh, it, it's structured how I think about the business and employee relations, and yeah, absolutely by far the the most um, powerful. Um, All right. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to that too then. Okay, cool. Cool. That awesome. was easy. All right, dude, thank yeah. you very much for, for the time this afternoon. And, uh, we've got hey, many more follow-up topics. Before we go, we have I have homework to. for you, man. For me. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I think two podcasts I never ago, get we did a different podcast and we made a promise to have a follow-up. Oh, there's like three. Yeah. Too. We've got like three more. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so what's, what's going So what do you think our next one's going to be? Let's do the, I know one of them's about hiring. So we, you just don't want to commit. No, I, no, I I'll it. commit. We'll okay. commit to doing the next one. It'll be about finding <laughs> finding the right people and keeping them. Okay, let's do that. Right. Cool. Now I'm writing okay. it down. <laughs> Excellent. Good deal. <laughs> cool. All right. Okay, thanks, thanks man. Dave. Appreciate Talk you having there. me, man. <laughs>